you got a Bible, I encourage you to go to Acts chapter 14. Acts chapter 14, if you don't have a Bible, the passage we're working through is in your bulletin, a little handout that you got as you rolled in here, as well as on the screen. There's a red Bible in front of you. If you don't own a Bible and you need one, you're more than welcome to take that home as a gift from us. And so just uh, kind of like re- remind you, we also do a nine o'clock service. So if you feel like this is a little, little too cramped for you, all right, I encourage you to go to the nine. We got a little bit of space, not a whole lot, but we do have a little bit more space than this. And, you know, just I had somebody ask me this last week, do we do the same thing in the nine eleven? So yes, we do the same thing in the nine eleven. I don't go and change outfits and come out with cool glasses and a cool shirt and more hip, right? No, I, like, this is me. This is what you get in the nine, you get in 11, same music, all that kind of stuff. So uh, it, it, I know it's a little earlier if you wanna come and spread out a little bit more, or if you wanna come to this and just be all packed in. Awesome, I love it. But this isn't, I don't know, maybe you guys love it up there. I don't know, but it kind of a little hard there. So you guys could probably see my notes down there. You can start picking in, jump in if I need you to. So, all right, uh, this is, in case you're like just jumping with us, so we're jumping back into a, a book called Acts that we started at the beginning of the fall last year. And so we're back in the middle of it. And so just kind of as a recap for us, one of the things that we wanted to do as a whole church body as we work through the book of Acts is kind of have a, um, a common language for us to pray through. So we just don't wanna be hearers of the word. We also wanna be doers of it. And so we just said, hey, here are some things we can pray through as we work through the book of Acts. And there are three of them. And I put them in this acronym ACT so we can remember them. And so we're gonna see if we remember. So the first one's an A. And what's the first one? All, okay, great. All would go, right? So just kind of get you off the hook there. Yeah, all would go. And so what we see here as we work through the book of Acts as followers of Jesus Christ, we wanna engage in the mission of God. And so we wanna pray that all of us who call ourselves Christ followers would go. And that go means this. It doesn't mean you have to become a pastor or jump into full-time vocational ministry. No, that go means this, is that I'm a barrier, a carrier of the name of Jesus, whether I'm in high school, middle school, I work at Ford, or you know, I work at Starbucks, or I work at Chick-fil-A, or I'm a school teacher, whatever it is, you're a carrier of the name of Jesus. And we're just saying, go, be that carrier of the name of Jesus. And at the same time, a little sub-point of that is that we're also praying that some would go far that we would see couples and individuals who feel burdened by the Holy Spirit to maybe uproot their families and uproot their lives and go overseas to to an area, to a place that doesn't hear the gospel. So that's A, all would go. C, courage, thank you. Yeah, because when we step into this mission that God has embarked on doing, man, we need courage. Like it's, it's kind of a scary deal. And so we'll see this even today as we work through Acts 14, that we need courage. We step into the mission of God. And the last one is T, and that is that we're praying for God to tear down barriers. Anything that's separating us uh, and barriers that are keeping us from uniting together and being a multi-generational, multi-race, multi-ethnic group that can worship King Jesus together. And so the verse that we've used to kind of guide us, because it is a theme verse to the book of Acts, is Acts 1.8. And it says this, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And so what we get to see as we dive back into this book is the fulfillment of that last little phrase in Acts 1.8, to the ends of the earth. So how does God see to it that the gospel empowered by the Holy Spirit gets to the ends of the earth. Well, he empowers a man named Paul is what he does. And so we get to see uh, the latter half of his first missionary journey here in Acts chapter 14. So let's stand together in honor of reading God's word. 
So we're going to jump down to verse 19, and we're going to read through verse 23. We'll work through the whole chapter, but I want us to kind of read just the last part of this chapter here, verses 19 through 23. So hear the word of the Lord. Then some Jews came from Antioch and Iconium and won the crowd over. They stoned Paul and dragged him outside the city, thinking he was dead. But after the disciples had gathered around him, he got up and went back into the city. The next day, he and Barnabas left for Derbe, and they preached the good news in that city and won a large number of disciples. Then they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to remain true to the faith. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God, they said. And Paul and Barnabas appointed elders for them in each church and with prayer and fasting committed them to the Lord in whom they had put their trust. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, what a beautiful day. Man, what an encouragement it is for us to gather together each week and sing together, be reminded of beautiful truths of how much there is love for us in Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, may your word bring its work in our life, whether that's an encouragement, Lord, whether that's strengthening, or whether that's conviction. May your spirit come and do its work. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So as Ashley has said, this is one of those celebrative Sundays that we call Baptism Sunday, and we love these Sundays. You'll see this in just a few minutes as we gather out in the atrium and celebrate with these families. So in the nine o'clock, we had a young man named Jacob Knight who went public with his faith, and during the 11, like Ashley said, we have Nathan Evans, Eli Kidd, and Annie Kidd who are going public with their faith. And, and we didn't plan it like this, but it's beautiful because I think this passage of Scripture is a very fitting message for those who are getting ready to, to embark in their new faith journey with Jesus. This is a fitting and timely message for them. Now, some of you may be going, oh, hold on. That's kind of a strange message to say this is a great one to do, especially when they're beginning their faith journey, and it's talking about Paul being stoned. <laughs> right? Like that just doesn't sound very encouraging. So that we're all on the same page here. When I say stoned, I'm not talking about the stoning that's, that's legal now in Colorado. I'm talking about stoning where a rock gets thrown at someone's face. All right. So I just want to make sure we're all on the same page here. Friday, I was talking to Josh about this text and he was telling me about a story with his youth pastor. And, and this was a large youth ministry. And he was preaching through this text here and he got to a very serious moment. And he says, looks out to the student says, when was the last time you were stoned. <laughs> so I don't know if that's a confession time or what's going on there, but, but here's, here's the deal here. I, I know, I know it sounds kind of like a strange for us to kind of walk through a passage that's talking about Paul being stoned, left half dead, drug out of the city. How in the world is that a great message to speak to individuals who are beginning their faith journey? Well, I'm glad you asked that question, all right? Because that's what I'm gonna unpack for you. And so this is what I want Annie and Allie and Nathan to kind of imagine as we work through this passage of scripture. Just imagine we're sitting at Chick-fil-A, amen? Which is one of my favorite places to sit, all right, eat. And so you're, you're gobbling down your nuggets or whatever you want and I'm eating whatever's on the menu because I love everything on the menu, right? So I'm maybe got five different things there, whatever. And I'm drinking a big old glass of sweet tea and I'm talking to you about now you are beginning your faith journey with Christ. I'm telling you, this is one 
of the places I would start with. And the beautiful thing is, is that you got the entire church body kind of eavesdropping into our conversation there at Chick-fil-A, because this is not just a message for them. It's a message for every single one of us in this room. So how, how is this such a fitting message here? Well, let's kind of kind of do the backstory of the stoning of Paul, all right? So let's kind of do a little backtracking to kind of find out what's going on here in verses 19 through 23. So if we go all the way up to chapter 13, the very first part of that, you'll see a church in Antioch, which we just talked about last week, different church than the Antioch we just read in the passage. But the church of Antioch is worshiping, praising God, and the Spirit of God comes upon them and tells them to do something. So look at me, look with me at verse two and three of chapter 13, where it says this. While they, talking about the church in Antioch, were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said this, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul, which is later renamed Paul, for the work to which I am calling them to. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. So here we see our very first international missionaries that are being sent out from this church to go take the gospel to places the gospel has not been before. And so it's, it's a beautiful reminder, and we'll see this over and over as we work through the latter half of the book of Acts, that the mission that Paul and Barnabas are on is not their mission, it's God's mission. It is God who's gonna see to it that his message, his gospel, gets to the ends of the earth. It's not the church of the Antioch, of Antioch that came together and figured out a great plan. No, they're worshiping, praying, fasting, and the Spirit of God comes to them and says, look, I got an idea. I have a mission to get the gospel to the ends of the earth, and I want you to set aside Paul and Barnabas because they're gonna be my instruments to do this. Over and over, we see this. This is God's mission, not our mission. It's his mission, and he's inviting us into it. And so Paul and Barnabas submit, they're obedient, and so we see them kind of going through um, their first missionary journey. And I've got a map up here, and, and hopefully you can see it. It's the best I can get, so it's not really crazy pixelated. So their starting point there is in the church of Antioch, and their first stop is to this little island called Cyprus. And at this island, this is where Barnabas is from. It's kind of like his, his hometown. And we see there in, in Cyprus that a prominent government official comes to faith in Jesus Christ. So big, huge win for King Jesus, big, huge loss for Satan. Amen? So after they leave Cyprus, after spending some time there, they go to a little place called Perga, which is there, kind of follow up on me there. They go to Perga and then to Antioch in Pisidian. And so when we see this, this is kind of like um, the region that we call Galatia. So if you remember later on, Paul writes a letter to the churches in Galatia. So these are the churches that he has planted here in Galatia. And so what we're reading here in the first missionary journey is, is those same churches that he writes about. This is also modern day Turkey here, where modern day Turkey today is less than 1% of the population call themselves Christians. So a very dark place today, an extremely dark place during Paul's time. So they go to Antioch there. They, they have great success. We see in the latter part of chapter 13 that a whole city gathers to hear the gospel of Jesus that Paul is proclaiming, fascinating stuff happening there. But at the same time, there's some opposition. Then they leave Antioch and they go to Iconium, which is just to the right there and the beginning of chapter 14. And once again, they have great success there also. A great number of Jews and Greeks believe. We find that out in verse one. And at the same time, there's opposition. 
because they find out that there's a plot that's being kind of, you know, conspired against them to stone and kill them. And so when they find out about this plot, Paul and Barnabas are able to escape Iconium and that's how they end up in Lystra or Lystra, however you wanna, wanna say that. So like just a, a beautiful reminder here before we dive in, because this is where the stoning of Paul happens. Beautiful reminder here. So here's Paul and Barnabas that are being obedient to the Lord. They go in these cities they proclaim the gospel. God brings blessing and fruit and prospers their effort. There's somewhat opposition going on in these cities. He allows them to find out about a plot to kill them. And then they move to Lystra where they begin to do the same thing. And we pick this up in verse eight of chapter 14. Look what he says here. So in Lystra, there sat a man crippled in his feet who was lame from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul as he was speaking and Paul looked directly at him and saw that he had faith to be healed. And he called out, stand up on your feet. And at that moment, the man jumped up and began to walk. Now, a beautiful reminder here for us. Remember, when we see miracles like this and we see these periodically through the book of Acts or another word you could use is signs. There's always two purposes for miracles or for signs. One purpose is, is that they're always a pointer to a truer reality. They're always pointing forward to a truer reality. And so this is the best way that I can kind of like explain what I mean by this. So on Friday, we inaugurated a brand new president, President Donald Trump of the United States of America. And every president, not just Donald Trump, but every president, when they are inaugurated, they always come with all these promises and hopes and dreams of how their administration in this new era is gonna usher in a great you know, season for the United States of America. Every president done this. This is not just Donald Trump, but every president comes in with all their promises, their dreams of what they're going to do to make America great. Now, the reality is this, is none of those are true. None of those have happened yet. They're just hopes. They're just dreams. None of those are reality. And when Jesus shows up on the scene, he inaugurates a new era also that is full of hopes and promises and dreams. And these are not pipe dreams. These are reality. These are true. And he proves it because he rose from the dead. And then when we see these little miracles happening in the book of Acts, they're actually function as little pictures, snapshots of a truer reality that's going to happen. This is not a pipe dream or a wishful thinking. No, there's coming a day where we will be in the new heavens and a new earth and there will be no more disease, no more sickness. No one will be born with a crippled leg ever, ever again. And these are little snapshots of that truer reality. So that's what a miracle is doing. It's, it's giving us a little you know, for students, Snapchat, so to speak, a little picture of where we're headed in the new heavens. And it's secure. We know it's gonna happen because of Jesus. But not only are they pointers, but they're also a platform for them to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. So they're a pointer to a true reality and they're also a platform for them to share the good news. And look what happened, verse 11. When the crowd saw what Paul had done, they shouted in Lyconian language. They're not really sure probably what they're saying because they didn't know this language. And this is what they said. The gods have come down to us in human form. Barnabas, they called Zeus. Paul, they called Hermes because he was the chief speaker. The priest of Zeus, whose temple was just outside the city, 
brought bulls and wreaths to the city gates because he and the crowd wanted to offer sacrifices to them. Now, this is crazy stuff going on here, right? This is like, what in the world? Well, when you gotta, here's one of the things you gotta remember. This is kind of a, um, sort of a local legend that was passed around at this time. And that's why this strange, it's strange behavior to us, but it wasn't strange behavior to these people because the local legend said this, that at one time there was a couple who entertained the gods of Zeus and Hermes unaware. They had no idea they were entertaining them and honoring them and giving them things that they needed. And as a result of entertaining them, they were rewarded. And so when Paul does his miracle, they're thinking to this legendary story of going, oh my goodness, they come back. And we don't want to miss our opportunity. This is our opportunity to show worship and honor to them so that we can be rewarded. And that's what they're doing. So... What did Paul and Barney do? Well, look at verse 14. But when the, when the apostles, Barnabas and Paul, heard of this, what did they do? They tore their clothes. They rushed out into the crowd shouting, men, why are you doing this? We too are only men, human just like you. So, so, they, so they see this priest coming to worship them, basically, to offer sacrifices to him. Paul and Barnabas tear their clothes so they're half naked and they're running through this crowd. And the reason why they're doing that is they're wanting to show them like, we're just flesh. We're human beings just like you. Don't worship us. And then he goes on there in the middle of 15 and says this, we're bringing you good news. And that good news is this, telling you to turn from these worthless things to the living God who made heaven and earth and sea and everything in them in the past. He let all the nations go their own way, yet he has not left himself without testimony. He's shown kindness by giving you rain from heaven and crops in their season. He provides you with plenty of food and fills your hearts with joy. Even with these words, they had difficulty keeping the crowd from sacrificing to them. So, so look, Paul and Barnabas stops them from worshiping them, Paul and Barnabas. Why? Because a sign and a miracle is a platform for them to proclaim the good news of Jesus, not a platform for them to point to themselves and say, look how awesome we are. And so that's exactly what they do. And the summary of Paul's message is basically this. Stop worshiping dead things and worship the living God that's been shouting at you for all generations. Like, I would make an argument that what is happening here in these few verses is that Paul is taking Psalm 19 and sort of making it more toward their own culture and helping them understand. He's basically saying, look, look, look at this and this and that. Look about, this, about your entire world. You've got rain for your crops. You've got plenty of good food. You've got a, a taste palate, palate that you're able to kind of taste good food and enjoy those. Your heart is full of laughter. And Paul's going, where'd this come from? I'll tell you where this came from. It came from God who made and manages everything in the universe. And if you would just open your eyes and take notice here, you would see that there is a visible witness of God, the creator, who is good to us. So Paul is just saying, look, 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 stop giving your life over to dead things and turn to the living God who's given you a witness of his reality over and over and over. Open your eyes and see he is here. Now, I wanna state the obvious here, all right? Paul and Barnabas do what is right. 
You follow me? Paul and Barnabas do what honors God. They don't receive the worship that these people want to give them. They actually deflect it and say, no, 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 don't worship me. I'm just a human being. Here's the one you need to worship. So Paul and Barnabas do what pleases God, what honors God. They are obedient to what God tells them to do. Don't worship me, but here's the one to worship. And then what happened to him? Look at verse 19. Then some Jews came from Antioch and Iconium and won the crowd over and they stoned Paul. And they dragged him outside the city thinking he was dead. So think about this, right? If they received the worship, if they received the sacrifice, they don't get stoned. They do what is right, what is honoring to the Lord. And he gets hit by so many rocks that they think he is dead and they drag him out of the city in a bloody mess. Look, I, I don't know about you and, and maybe I am kind of projecting on you. I, I think we're all there. But isn't this one of the most confusing things about Christianity? Isn't this one of the most disheartening, discouraging things about Christianity? That you do what is right, you do what is honorable, and you get kind of punched in the gut? May, may I say and kind of venture here because I kind of see it in my own heart that, that a lot of us in this room, probably most of us in this room, if we're really honest, that, that what's at play in us is that we have a a kind of a partial buy-in to the prosperity gospel, that all of us kind of buy in to some extent a variation of the prosperity gospel. And, and for some of you that may not have a clue what the prosperity gospel is, and I know I'm really reducing this down, but in essence, all it's basically teaching is that you get Jesus, you put enough faith in Jesus, you pray enough, you work hard enough, you stop sinning, then everything's gonna go great for your life. Your finances are gonna work out. You're gonna get that promotion. You're gonna pass that test. You're gonna get that girl. You're gonna get that guy. Your kids are gonna turn out great. You're gonna, you're gonna stop struggling with sin. It's gonna get easier and easier and eventually you'll be able to step in and live that victorious Christian life. I would argue, because I see it present in me, that all of us buy in to a little bit of the prosperity gospel. And the reason why I say that is because it has a way of kind of like rising to the top, especially when you suffer, when you actually experience the opposite of that. So, so you know, for example, and, and maybe this has been your story too, maybe you've been convicted about your finances, you've looked at the Bible and God kind of gives us, gives us clear understanding of how we're to use our money. He's the one that owns everything. I don't, I'm a steward. And so the Lord brings conviction in your life. You know, we're gonna reorder everything. You know, what we're gonna start doing as a family, we're gonna be generous. We're gonna give first. That's what we're gonna do. And then we're gonna save and then we're gonna live. That's, that's what we're gonna live by. Why? Did I make this up? No, this is what God has convicted me to do. So some of us have reordered our finances like that. I don't know about you, but there's been times when I've done that and the next day, boom, the dryer goes out. 
or you, you have a, you know, transmission goes out or your, one of your wonderful kids falls and busts their head wide open and you're running into the emergency room and you got to pay a million dollar bill for a ace bandage or a band-aid for crying out loud, right? And you're going, what in the world? Some of you that were with us back in the winter when we did the Making Room campaign, some of you guys made a commitment. I'm sure you're kind of walking through this. You made probably a huge faith commitment to what we're trying to do here. And so, man, this is way out of my, my comfort zone. I don't know if we can do this. You make that commitment and the next day, boom, something happens. Like, isn't that the most confusing thing in Christianity? You do what you feel like the Lord is leading you to do and you're expecting a blessing, Right? You're expecting God to kind of come through and it feels like he doesn't show up. Some of you feel this in your own marriages and you feel like you're doing the right thing and instead of your marriage getting harder, it's getting a lot worse. Some of you feel like this in, in relationships that you've had where you've, you've, you've felt the courage, stepped in, shared with someone about Jesus, maybe even spoke some truth to them and you did it in a very kind, a loving, gracious way and now all of a sudden you're rejected. And now all of a sudden your conversations turn in ways that, oh, that's not what I meant. That's not what I said. What, what are you doing, God? Like, seriously, I'm doing what is right. Some of you are here and you're fighting sin, you're fighting sin, you're fighting sin, but it's getting harder. It's like, really? Is this a joke? That's why sometimes when I hear that the safest place to be is in the center of God's will, like, I just want to give a little pushback and say, have you ever read your Bible? Paul was at the epicenter of God's will, right? And he got stoned. Look, let's say God had the power to give them another secret message. He did it before. He could have slipped it in. Like, here, here's a secret message. Get out, Right? Receive the offering and then we'll confess later, right? We've got to state the obvious here. It's one of the most confusing things about Christianity, isn't it? But look what happened here. Verse 20. But after the disciples had gathered around him, he got up and, and so I don't, like the text doesn't clearly say, did he get resurrected? What happened here? All we know is as, as the disciples gathered around him, they may have just met physical needs, bandaged him up, maybe gave him water, whatever it is. They were probably praying. So a combination of all this, somehow he was revived, all right? So I don't know exactly if he rose from the dead there. Could have, God's got the power to do that, all right? But we know that there's an important piece here as the disciples gathered around him, he revived up. And look what happened. He went back into the city, what? Right? Are you nuts? He went back into the city that just stoned him to death. Look, I don't, I don't have time to dive into this, and I feel like we will get there as we work through this latter half of, of, of Acts, but I do believe there's an, there's an element of risk that we've got to embrace as followers of Jesus Christ, that as I step into the mission of God, that it may literally cost me my life. And we've got to kind of uh, sort of blow up this illusion that we believe that we're safe and secure because we're not. And for some of us in this room, he's gonna call you to give your life, your physical life, to see to it 
that the gospel of Jesus gets out. And there's great risk there. It goes on, the next day, he and Barnabas left for Derby. In verse 21, they preached the good news in that city and won a large number of disciples. Beautiful here. They don't stop the mission of God. They're not like all discouraged and down. Yeah, they're wounded. They're beaten up. He's probably got blood on him. He's got cuts, all that kind of, but they're preaching the good. This news is still good news to them. You know what I'm saying? They're not stopping. Like, yeah, this news brought me to get a bunch of rocks in my head, but guess what? All right, this is still good news. They go on. Uh, verse, the latter part of 21, then they return to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch. So they're making a circle back around. And when they're going to these different places that they were, look what they did in verse 22. They did this to strengthen the disciples and encourage them to remain true to the faith. And what did they, what was the content of their encouragement? Right here. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. So look, look that's exactly why I said this is a beautiful message for Annie and and, uh, Eli and Nathan and for all of us in this room who may be just starting their faith journey because this is the content that Paul gave brand new Christians. He ran around to all these brand new Christians and said, look, here's the story. Here's the message. Here's what you need to hear. We must, not we might, we possibly, no, we must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. And so please hear me here. Paul is not saying this, that this is the work that I have to do to get in the kingdom. That's not what he's saying here. The work that needed to be done to get me in the kingdom, Jesus did. And so when you put your faith and trust in Jesus, as the the book of Colossians teaches us, in that moment, he transfers you out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his dear son. That is done for you. It's not what you have to do. So what Paul is saying here is this, is during this life, we're not experiencing the fullness of the kingdom of God because Jesus is not back yet. But in this life, there's a road, there's a way, and the kingdom road and the kingdom way is that we are gonna suffer. There are gonna be many trials many tribulations. And that word many doesn't mean quantity or number, but carries more of the idea that's in James 1, 2 that talks about a variety. So that includes rejections from friends. Because I know that's not a great thing to hear for a high school, college, or middle school student, but listen to me. If you follow Jesus, you will be rejected. Yes, you will be received by some, but you will also be rejected by some. There will be broken relationships because of your commitment to Jesus. Yes, that means you may get overlooked for a promotion that you are well-deserving of because you're a follower of Jesus Christ. Yes, that means that your marriage may not get better. That your short 30, 40, 50, 60 years here on life, your marriage may never get better. Yes, that means that you may be suffering depression, anxiety, chronic pain, and fatigue. Yes, that means that your children may someday rise up and look at Christianity and says, I don't want any of it. and might call you as mom and dad a bigot and a homophobe. Yes, it means your daily battle with sin may get worse before it gets better. So I'm sure you're 
you're thinking this because I'm thinking is like, man, I don't know if that's a really encouraging word for Nathan and Annie and Eli. It's like, I, I, that's probably making them want to push the eject button really quickly. Like, can you just like couch it a little bit better that, hey, life's going to be awesome, right? Can't you just make it a little nicer, Lyle? That's just really discouraging. And I'm not even, you know, you might be out here saying, I'm not a Christian. I don't really want to be a part of that, right? I hear you. I, I do. But I want to be truthful with what we see here. The point of what's going on in chapter 14 is that little sentence. Through many tribulations, you will enter the kingdom of God. And the reason why Paul goes back to those cities with that message is because he doesn't want these new Christians to be surprised and shocked when it happens to them. I think Peter does a good job of kind of explaining this in his own words Later on in 1 Peter chapter four, he says this in verses 12 through 13. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trial you are suffering as though something strange were happening to you. <laughs> but rejoice that you participate in the suffering of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. Like for me, guys, that's really good to hear. Because whenever, whenever things don't work out kind of like how I thought they should or I expected them to, my instinctive response to that is what am I doing wrong? Are you with me? Like what am I doing wrong? What, what am I missing? What Bible study am I not doing? What passage do I need to memorize? What, where, where am I missing it? And we go on this search for kind of this right answer and, and like, okay, let me help me find out what I'm doing wrong so I can fix this. Because this, this just doesn't seem like this should happen. I obey, I do what God wants me to do, and it gets harder. It just feels like I'm missing something. And what Peter is doing here and what Paul is doing as he walks back through those cities is basically saying this, you're not doing anything wrong. That's normal Christianity. That's what it means to walk with Jesus here. So it's like he's, he's trying to tear down this paradigm, this, this thinking that we have about Christianity and trying to rebuild a brand new way of thinking about it. This paradigm, guys, this thinking that oh, that's prevalent in all of us. It's kind of like this melting pot of belief, like where we've heard pastors and maybe a church and, and maybe we've kind of read passages that, hey, this is how it's supposed to be. And then we're, we're, we're engulfed in a Western culture that all of us live in and we absorb a, a part of like cultural teaching. Whether you realize this or not, you do absorb that. You're not absent from culture, like you're engaged in it. And this idea is like, oh, wow, if I get Jesus, things will work out for me. So we have, like I preached on this two weeks ago in Psalm 1. So all of us have a definition of the blessed life. So when I say blessed is the man, every single one of us have a way of defining what is blessed. And what Paul is trying to do here in Peter is saying, like, look, look, I want to tear that down and help you define what is blessed based on how God has revealed it. And you will suffer. You will go through many tribulations, many trials, many difficulties in this life. It's not that you're not doing something right. That's what's normal Christianity. And that's why over and over 
the writers in the latter part of the New Testament with their letters are coming back to this over and over again. Like Paul says in 2 Corinthians, he says this in chapter four. Therefore, we do not lose heart. We do not lose heart. Like in a crowd like this, I guarantee you somebody's walking through this door saying, I'm done. I am worn out. I'm tried and I've tried and I've prayed and I've prayed and nothing's happening. And it's beautiful. God inspired Paul to write these words 2000 years ago and they are now ministering to your soul here in 2017. Don't lose heart. Allie, Eli, Annie, Allie, that's kind of, I just put your mom in there. Annie, Eli, Nathan, like this is my word to you. Don't lose heart. There'll be times when it's really hard You'll feel like you're the only person being obedient to Jesus. Don't lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we're being renewed day by day for our light and momentary troubles. Don't you just love how Paul describes a stoning, right? (laughs) Thank you for laughing. Isn't that funny? Like I'm thinking that's varsity. You know, getting rocks thrown at your face is not light. That's like, you know, like light for us is a migraine. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm, okay, migraines are horrible. So I don't want to make, hopefully you don't send me an email and say you're a jerk. But moving on, you know what I'm talking about here. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. And I, like, guys, I don't know what all is going on here, but boy, I do know this, that somehow in God's economy, our suffering and hardship and difficulty that we experience in this life is increasing our joy in the new heavens and the new earth. That's what Paul is saying here, and that's what Peter is saying also in chapter four. You get that? The hardship, difficulty, pain that you are suffering in this life is, is creating for you a way for you to experience greater and greater and greater joy in the new heavens and the new earth. So what do we do? Verse 18, we fix our eyes on what is seen, but not on what is, un- but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Jesus did not come to give you a safe, secure, easy life. He came to make you into the greatest you that you could possibly be to where you have the power to pour yourself out for the good of others. And in the process of pouring yourself out, you will experience many tribulations, many hardships, many difficulties, but don't lose heart. It's worth it. It's worth it. So if you're a Christian here, I just, hopefully you're encouraged. Eli, Annie, Nathan, don't lose heart. Don't lose heart. Through many trials and tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. If you're not a Christian here, like I realized that this is probably not a great PR for Jesus, right? It's like, okay, not sure if I want that, right? I like my life, right? Okay, yes, but part of my desire is to present to you a Jesus without so much hype and hyperbole and over promises. This is what I know to be true. 
you're not a Christian here, you are created for God. And it's only through Jesus that you can step in and live as God has created you to live. You are created for him. And secondly, there is no better life to live. Yes, it's full of hardship and difficulty, but it is the best life to live. I think Martin Luther King Jr. is the one who said this, if a man has not discovered someone, something that he will die for, he isn't fit to live. And I would say this, that something is a someone and that someone is Jesus. He is worth it to give your life. So come to him. He's your greatest need, nothing else. He is your greatest need. Let's pray.